There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional-grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can I ask you about how you came to the realization that you were a woman? And I started taking inventory of myself. And I discovered that I was a woman. My coworkers and I were going to a Jenny Rivera concert in San Miguel Casino. And this was my first outing full-time as a woman. Here I am at a big event, Kumbura Raza. They're gonna clock me. They're gonna name call me. They're gonna, they're gonna like, I'm going down. It's because of women like you that are open enough to share their stories that are going to change the game in the transgender community. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cheekies and Chill. I'm your host, Cheekies, and I hope you all are having a great day. For today's episode, we're going to be opening up our hearts and our minds because we're going to be diving into a very important topic, one that isn't talked about enough, in my opinion, especially in the Latin community. We're going to be joined by a transgender woman and hear some of the challenges she's faced throughout her life. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, so let's dive right into it, guys. This is Cheekies and Chill. Today's guest is Emmy Olea. She is an actor, writer, and a podcast host. He'd invite me over to have dinner with his family. I knew he didn't tell them that I was transgender, and I didn't know if they knew or not. Adam said, if this question ever comes up, just deny, deny, deny. Her new podcast, Crumbs, is part of, you know, the family, iHeartRadio's My Cultura Network. And we will learn a little bit more about that a little later. But let's hear more about her story. Welcome, Emmy. It's so good to hear from you. How are you? 
<laughs> Hi, Chiquis. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Of course. No, I'm, I'm really excited. This is something that I'm very passionate about. I've had personal experiences and I have family members. And not only that, I, I feel that it is a huge taboo still in our Latin community. And this is why I'm so excited to have a podcast where we're able to speak about anything and everything that we want. So first of all, congratulations on your podcast, Crumbs. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. That's awesome. I'm so, so excited. You're part of the family. So woo-woo, my cultura right here. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I can tell you're such a strong and positive force, but I know you probably weren't always like this. Can you share a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up? Uh, I'm from San Diego, so California girl. My mom was 14 when she had me. My dad was 16. And my parents were gangbang cholos from rival gangs. Oh, no way. <laughs> so interesting how they met. But here I am. You know, they had me when they were so young and they didn't know what the heck they were doing. Uh -huh. I had really no structure whatsoever growing up. I was allowed to do whatever I wanted because they didn't know what they were doing. These were just kids having kids. <laughs> Did you feel like you were growing up also with your parents? Like you felt like, because my mom was 15 when she had me. So I sometimes even felt like I was her mom sometimes, you know? So interesting. No, because my parents shortly after I was born became addicted to drugs. And so that started their cycle oh, okay. of like being in and out of institutions. Actually, my dad kind of dipped out when I was one year old. So it was pretty much my mom and me. And then my grandmother stepped in to raise me. Okay, so you were raised by your grandmother. I was. Mm -hmm. Okay, and do you have siblings, Emmy? I do, yeah. I'm the eldest. Our age differences are 7, 12, and 19. But, you know, my grandmother stepped in to raise me. She provided me with stability, home, love, while my mom was out doing her stuff, doing her hustle. She was in and out. So I didn't really have a really strong relationship from the beginning with my mom until I was a little bit older. Okay, I see. But thank goodness for your grandma. Yeah, she was an amazing woman. And talking about her, did you were you open with her about what you felt? Like, how old were you when you started feeling? Did you feel that way? Can I ask you? Did you feel trapped in, in, in another body? Like, can you explain to me, like, your experience? Yeah, no, that wasn't my experience. I didn't feel trapped in another body as a kid. I felt like it was very different. And maybe I think because it was the 80s, things were so different. We didn't have the terminology that we have now. The lifestyle was completely different. Growing up in a very Mexican household, that just wasn't something you talk about. Everyone knew that I was different. Okay, so I was born this little blonde hair, blue-eyed little boy who acted like a girl. I was very feminine. And from the get-go, people knew that I was different. So my grandmother, she knew that I was different. So she protected me a lot, especially for my aunts, because my aunts were like, no se están llorón or whatever. Uh -huh. Exactly. Like, mm -hmm. like, like, no juegas con muñecas. Uh -huh. no, tú juegas con carritos, con pistolas. Exactly. And uh -huh. okay, yes. my grandma was like, déjenlo, dejen a mi niño en paz. Because, you know, I was her favorite. Oh. She was raising me and she protected me. That was kind of short-lived because when I was seven years old, my grandmother disappeared. And what happened is I was seven years old. I was taken to school. My grandmother was arrested. I was picked up by my paternal grandparents. And they told me that my... Mamilicha, my grandmother, was in jail with my mom, with my stepdad, with my aunt, with the maid, with the mechanic. Everyone who was at the house that day got arrested. We had been under investigation for some time now. Cover story of the San Diego Union Tribune, right? Mm -hmm. This woman is arrested for trafficking 475 pounds of cocaine across the border. 
one of her workers got caught and away she went. Mm -hmm. So all the stability that I had with my grandmother, you know, she gave me everything I ever wanted. Material possessions, love. I felt like it was unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And then that's when my mom stepped in. She had to. She oh had no goodness. choice because what was going to happen to me? So, you know, she did the best that she could, still using drugs. She got pregnant. Okay. She had my sister, Andrea. And she taught me how to make a bottle, how to change a diaper. Wow. Mm -hmm. Said, I'll be back. She didn't come back that night. The very next morning, my aunt picked us up. My mom had been arrested, hustling in her drug use. And my sister and I were separated. I went to live with my paternal grandparents. My sister went with an aunt. And from that moment, you start feeling like, what is wrong with me? I knew I was different. I didn't like the same things that other boys liked. Mm -hmm. I got made fun of, you know, like, ay, mira el maricón. You're like, yeah, really derogatory terms yes. that they would use, you know. Especially the Latinos use that word so much. Yeah. So I grew up with just so much shame about who I was. After a year of my mom being incarcerated, she got released to a halfway house. Mm -hmm. And what happened is she skipped parole and she moved us to Guadalajara, Jalisco, which is where my family's from. We were pretty much on the run for four years. I'm going to say that's when I really bonded with my mom because she was clean from drugs. My grandmother from prison was still giving orders like, you know, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to live. She had properties in, in Mexico, so nothing was missing. We had everything we, we needed. We were provided for. So my mom didn't even have to work. She just was a housewife. But then she picked up drugs again, and we ended up coming back to the U.S. when my sister Daniela was born, and we've been here since. You were how old when your sister Andrea was, was born, you said? Seven. You were seven. Okay, so that, that mm -hmm. happened all so quickly, like being under your grandma's wing, and then she was gone. And then you had your sister. Your mom had your sister, Andrea. And then you had this responsibility since so young. Like, that's where I feel like we have that in common where we're the eldest. And we have this responsibility that wasn't really ours at such a young age. And it forces us to mature so quickly and kind of miss out on our childhood. Did you feel like you missed out on your childhood in some way? A hundred percent. I don't feel like I had a childhood. And this is what one of the resentments I always had towards my mom, that I didn't get to live as a kid. I was always picking up after her. I was in charge of cleaning and combing Andrea's hair, getting her ready yeah. for school, picking out her outfits, caring for her. And also like, you know, the protective person in me wanted to make sure that she was shielded from things that happened as a result of my mom being in her addiction. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like at times that you resented her in a way, your mom? Absolutely. I know you've talked about this, like, I loved her, but I didn't like her. You know, I had so much resentment growing up towards my mom. And I said, I will never do drugs. I will never be an alcoholic. I wanted to be very different. Mm -hmm. And so I applied myself. I applied myself in school. And I said, I'm going to be an honor student. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to break the cycle of like this fucked up dysfunctional family that I have. I did pretty good for the most part. So, you know, even throughout high school, I was still like very effeminate. Everyone just said, you know, the gay kid or el joto or whatever, you know, those terrible things that we grew up. Back then, queer was like not a cool word and that's what they would call me. Here's the thing. I want to like preface, like everything I mention is my experience, right? There's okay. like no umbrella term for the trans community. It's just my experience. 
which I was going to tell you, I saw that, especially with your podcast. It's kind of, this is my experience. I'm not representing the community as a whole. It's just, this is who I am. And I'm speaking about myself, which I like. I think it's, I think it's a good thing. And then I respect that. So absolutely. You, you, <laughs> thank you. This is your space too. So you go ahead and say like it is. So then, you know, what happened is I was going to, I got admitted to three universities. Oh, wow. I was so excited because I was finally on my way to be successful. And then my mother got arrested at the border for crossing a hefty amount of methamphetamines. Oh my she was goodness. given a prison sentence and my sisters were being shuffled from house to house. My grandmother, who was out of prison at the time, she was older. And she said, I can't take care of these girls. It's too much for me. Oh, because by this time, I had a little brother, Adrian. He had already been born and she was taking care of him and he was a baby. So what happened is I put my life on hold. I got a job that paid me well. I went before the judge and I got custody of my two younger sisters wow. and I raised them. And that was the most challenging thing that I've ever gone through, but also the most rewarding one. They became like my everything. Oh my goodness. I mean, we have a lot in common. <laughs> Your baby brother was how old at this time? So Adrian was about a year old. Oh, he's a when baby baby. Happened. Yeah. He's, he was a baby baby back then. So you weren't able to go to uni to the university. You just said, I'm going to get a job and, and try to raise my sisters. Exactly. And that's what I did. I did the best that I could. I mean, they didn't come with instructions and I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to do what I mm -hmm. think is the best for them. Yeah. And just give them stability show them that there is a better way of life out here. Because by this time, you know, my mom, they're living in motels, they're living in random places. And so they're only picking up the bad habits. My sister on the day, I was kind of headed that way. And I was like, God, I don't want my sister to be a chola. I really don't want that for her. Because I had so much fear that she was going to end up on drugs, in jail or dead. That's like my biggest fear. And I carried that fear for so long with my parents. So anyway, I stepped in, I raised them. But all the resentment and all the like hate I felt towards my mom just grew and grew and grew because here I am picking up after her again and putting my life on hold. I started abusing alcohol. That was like my way to cope. Mm -hmm. And then that led to other stuff. Okay. Like hard drugs? Harder drugs. That okay. led to yeah. me blacking out. I'm a blackout drinker. Like I, I drink enough and I black out. Okay. And I wake up and I hear about things that I did. And it's like, holy shit, I did that? Like, I can't see myself doing that. Mm -hmm. I was so unhappy with the person who I was. I knew that I wasn't happy internally. Yes, I was abusing alcohol. I was abusing drugs. But also when I looked in the mirror, cheekies, I didn't like what I saw. And you hadn't transitioned at this point, correct? But you had accepted I'm gay or you hadn't accepted that? It's interesting because I had accepted that I was gay. However, I didn't have that experience of like, I'm gay, I'm out and proud and I'm going to like go date and have fun. That wasn't my experience. I was like okay. ashamed that I was gay. I couldn't find my place because I wasn't dating gay men. I wasn't attracted to them. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have relationships as a gay man. It's interesting. And I, I, that's the only way I can explain it. I couldn't find my place. The reason I asked the, uh, these questions is because my brother, Johnny, he's he's my baby. We went through this, you know, where he went through like, no, I he was 11 years old and he was just confused about his sexuality. And for a long time, he was just upset and had these thoughts of suicide. And it was so hard because he was like, this is what I like, but I don't want to like what I like. Like, I want to be, quote unquote, normal. And it took a while to just say, Johnny, like. 
you need to just say it out loud. And little by little, I can't push you into saying it loud and proud, but you have, if this is what you like, this is what your body desires, you have to little by little start accepting that because if not, it's going to cause other things. And I think maybe this is what I'm hearing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously you did have a very rough childhood and your parents and, and then your grandma and then having to take the responsibility of your sisters, you felt alone and you felt like you didn't have a support system. Is that correct? And it kind of led you into alcohol makes me feel good for the moment. A hundred percent. A big part of it is that I felt like I had let my family down, right? Mm. I was like the firstborn male. My family was, is very Mexican, Catholic, okay. and I felt very traditional. And my grandmother, not my mom's mom, but my dad's mom, would tell me things like, Parate bien. No te muevas así. And tienes que ser hombre, hombre. You know, yeah. things like that. Like, since I was a kid, I could see the look of disappointment in their face when they'd see me or the way I express myself. Mm -hmm. And then my grandmother would say, Ay, no, lo que no has de ver en tu casa lo has de tener. That was fucking yeah. hurtful. Of course. <laughs> absolutely, dude. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like they don't realize that things that they say are elders, like how much they can affect our life, our hearts, our little minds, you know, because you're so young. You're still trying to figure things out within yourself, within your body. And then having someone that you love tell you this, it's just absolutely, I, I totally get that. And when did you start your transition? How old were you when you started? So what happened is, I tried to kill myself. Oh, man. Yeah. After years of abusing drugs and alcohol, I decided that I didn't want to live anymore. I drank a bottle of pills, a big old bottle. My sisters, Andrea and Danila, found me. And by this time, Andrea was driving. So she drove me to the hospital, to the emergency room. My liver started to shut down. Mm -hmm. I was hospitalized for seven days. And on the last day that I was there, the doctor said, you know what? You're very lucky that you're not dead. You put your liver through hell. I'm going to discharge you. Just take it easy. So I'm excited. Like I'm packing. I'm getting ready to go home. And then these two EMTs walk up. They asked for me by, by name. And they said, we're going to take you to the psychiatric ward because this was technically a suicide attempt. So there I go into the psych ward. I walk in. And it wasn't my first time there. I had been a regular there because I had so many fucking demons inside me that I just always wanted to off myself. And the doctor said, hey, welcome back. He saw my chart. He said, you know what? I really want you to look around the rooms here. And I looked, and you could see the patients nodding off in a corner, you know. And he said, these people here have severe mental issues, and I suspect that what you have is an addiction problem. So I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to let you out of here if you check out recovery a recovery meeting. You know, at this time, I feel like this small. I have nothing to lose. So I said, all right, let's do it. I started going to these meetings and I started doing the work that we do in, in a 12-step program. And I started taking inventory of myself and I discovered that I was a woman. That was a turning point for me. And do you feel that ever since that happened where you're like, I'm a woman, you felt like you were happier in every way? Or was it still a little bit of an uphill battle? Okay, so I played with a thought for months. And it was a, a bit of an uphill battle because I thought of everyone else. I thought of my sisters. I thought of my grandparents. I thought mm -hmm. of my friends. This was a big commitment. And I had to be sure that I was going to take this leap of faith. 
And yeah. it was a scary one. Oh my God, Chiquis, it was so scary. And so I started seeing a doctor about hormones. I started taking the hormones before going full-time as a woman. I was working at the time at the phone company and I told them, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to transition. And they're like, okay, great. They were very cool about it. Mm-hmm. Just bring us any sort of like documentation, any legal name change or whatever. So I did that. And then it was time to tell my family. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and we're reflecting on what matters most. I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tuda Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tuda shows wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including... Actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. My mom's side of the family is very conservative. My dad's side of the family, even though they're very machistas and very like, rah, 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 be a boy, be a boy, they, they're more, what's the word? 
son de ambiente. Like they're cool. Like they're they have fun. They drink. Okay, they're a little bit more open minded. I I guess you can say that. Okay. My mom's family is a little more proper, and my dad's family is more like you know desmadre. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> I don't know how else to put uh-huh. it. I get it. Don't trip. <laughs> so I sat down with my nana, with my tata, and my uncle, and I told them, nana, tata. I'm trying to remember exactly what I told them. Damn it. Well, what was it? I was just so fucking nervous. And I said, just get it out quick. Get it out quick. I'm like, voy a ser mujer. Oh my goodness. And I remember them. <laughs> I, remember their, I remember their eyes were just like dead stare. And there was just like silence at the table. Nobody was saying anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm dying inside. I'm like, holy shit, what did I just do? And then my nana, she's a, such a jokester. She looks at me, she's like, ¿Y te vas a poner chichis? <laughs> That's the first. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was, like, the first thing she said. And that just, like, broke the ice. Everybody started laughing. Oh. And then my tata just said, like, okay. And it was like that. Wow. Here's the thing, chiquis. By this time, I had already put my family through hell with my addiction with my drinking. Mm-hmm. They just wanted me to be safe. They wanted me to be happy. They wanted me to be living because the things that happened to me in my addiction were fucking scary. Mm-hmm. We're talking about I'd get lost in Tijuana for days oh. and they didn't know if I was dead or alive. Okay, and how long was this? How many years of this, give or take, do you think? Oh, let's see. I'm going to say a good five, six years of of it. Okay. So it was very, it was tormenting for, for them emotionally, I'm sure. So for them to be getting calls at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning that I'm stranded or that I'm in trouble or that I'm here, that I'm in a hospital. This was just like, you know, when I got sober, they were like, oh, thank God. Mm-hmm. So by the time I transitioned, they were like, you know what? We just want you to be okay. <laughs> Fuck the rest. So. Yeah. And how long have you been sober now, Emmy? I've been sober for 14 years. Wow, that's awesome. Oh, wait, but h- how did your mom's side of the family take it? Because this was your dad's side of the family, right? This is my dad's side of the family. So with my mom, and you know, this is my grandma, my mommy Licha, who raised me. Like, I was like, yo era la luz de sus ojos. Like, I was her everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my little brother kind of replaced me in that area. But I was cool with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I was cool with it. You know, she raised him since he was born because my mom was in jail. And it took me longer to tell them. I kind of distanced myself from them. Because that's the kind of person that I used to be, right? To avoid conflict, to avoid pain, I just turn, I just distance myself from you instead of addressing it. And so I had been living as a woman. Not it wasn't you know immediate after I told my paternal grandparents. Mm -hmm. It it was a little. It took me a little while, but I walked in, and you know by this time they they had already heard about it, and they didn't know what to expect. Yeah, they had heard about it. But it was kind of like, uh, you know, do I contact her? Do I not? Do I say? And then I thought, you know what? Life's too short. I got to like tell them. They have to know. So I told them and I had a, co- a phone call with them first. And then I walked in to see them. And I remember walking into the living room and my mom Licha was at the table. She was on the phone with one of my aunts. And she's like, ahorita te hablo. <laughs> you know, it was very, it was so, it was so weird. And she just looked at me and she's like, Que bonita estás. That was what she said. And she got up and hugged me. And it was like, I could breathe. 
Yeah, it was kind of like a, a breath of fresh air for sure. And can I ask you about how you came to the realization that you were a woman? Like, I'm sure people listening right now who are unsure about their place in the world maybe are facing this. Like, what can you share with them? Like, maybe they have a similar battle. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what helped you come to that realization? For me, it was, you know, like I said, I had gotten sober and I was really diving deep into myself. I was like soul searching. I needed to know what were the things that made me act the way that I was acting when I was in my disease and my addiction Mm -hmm. and literally taking inventory on paper about who I was. And then I always felt like, God, I wish I was born a girl, but I never put more thought than that, you know, because I like the glamour, like the the makeup, the hair, the clothes, you know, Andrea was my little Barbie. I used to dress her the way I wanted. And one day she's turned around and she was in high school, you know, like she's going to high school where everyone's wearing, you know, really casual clothes and she's going with like boots and jeans and like really nice clothes. And she looked at me, she's like, why do you dress me like this? She's like, if you like it so much, why don't you dress yourself like this? Oh, she told you. She did. I was like, you just have to look at all these. (laughs) And so all these little things starting adding up for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've always wanted to like, you know, that comment always stuck in my mind. If you like it so much, why don't you do it on you instead of me? Like, like I'm not your mannequin. That's pretty much what she told me. And what happened is after I was doing this inventory on myself and I realized that a lot of my resentment was towards women. A lot of resentments I had towards women because they had what I yearned to have. You know, the moment that I started wearing makeup and letting my hair grow out and that I started getting breast development from the hormones and my skin got thinner, like that, the moment that all these things started changing in me, it was like I started seeing in color. Like the light just went on. So you were like blossoming right before your eyes. I was. And I remember, uh, I have an interesting story. (laughs) I remember um, I said, okay, if I'm going to be a woman, I need to learn how to do makeup. Uh I need to be able to do my own makeup. So I went to the school in New York. I took this makeup course, came back, and I was so excited. I kept practicing at night, but then I was like, I have to practice on people too. And I was going to your mom's concert. My coworkers and I were going to a Jenny Rivera concert in San Manuel Casino. No way. Uh huh. And this was my first outing full time as a woman. Like, it was like my first big event where I, I was going to be around a lot of people. And uh-huh. so I'm, we're in the car and I turn around and I tell my friend Blanquita, my coworker, I'm like, hi, Blanquita, let me practice on you. And she's like, okay, do it. So I started giving her like, you know, we're in the backseat of a car and I'm giving like a smoky eyeshadow kind of look. <laughs> and I'm fresh out of school. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> we get to the concert and she looks like a fucking raccoon. Like, <laughs> Pero te dejo. <laughs> Pero me dejo. So she's like, okay, vamos al baño. Like, let's go fix it a little bit. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I'm me dressed as a woman. My hair wasn't that long at that point. But I th- think I had like a half wig and I was wearing these wedges, tight jeans, a tank top. And I was fucking scared cheekies because mm-hmm. here I am at a big event, con pura raza. They're going to clock me. Oh, they're like, going to name call me. They're going to they're mm-hmm. like, I'm going down, right? But did you feel fabulous though? Or you were more scared? 
I felt fabulous. Okay. But I was mortified. <laughs> yeah. And the moment your mom came out and started seeing, I let go of all those fears. And I had a wonderful time and I felt like myself, like free. I felt so fucking free. You felt alive. I felt alive. And nobody talked shit to me. Nobody name called me. Everybody was just having fun, enjoying the moment. And I was like, okay, this is who I am. So is it safe to say that my mother, Jenny Rivera, was like your madrina? She's your madrina of like, you know, Emmy? The birth of Emmy? Of being out in public. Being out in public. (laughs) That was like my first big event. And I remember just because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Like, oh my God, what do I do? You know, how do I act? Are people going to be staring at me? Are they going to throw things at me? Are they going to call me things? Are they going to beat me up? Mm -hmm. All these things were like valid fears that I had as a trans woman at the time. Yeah, for sure. Because I was still like, I didn't look like this. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But you had a good time. It makes me so happy. I had an amazing time. Yeah, That's good. That makes me so happy, honestly. Shout out to my mama. (laughs) She had the best concerts. She really did. I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling. And it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together. And that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi, I'm Freddie Prince Jr. And on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me? Sharing memories and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. 
comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. As someone who is transgender and also as someone who works in the entertainment industry, because you are an actor and now you have your podcast, do you think that we're making progress on representation in TV and, and film? I love that you're asking that because that's one of the conversations that I keep having with my colleagues, that I keep having with casting directors, with you know my representation, diversity in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. We're making progress. We are. We're not there yet. So it's like a little dab. It's a little dab. Yes. Okay. And, you know, there have been a lot more roles available for um, the LGBTQ plus community. I love seeing that. We're not there yet. We still have a lot of work to do. But what do you think, I mean, is the challenge though? Like what what's stopping the progress in the industry? I really feel it's a lot about education. Mm-hmm. We, for many years, I mean, have lived in a heterosis world. So really, mm-hmm. it's about continuing to educate. And it's not about pushing agendas on anyone. Like I hate seeing that when, when, I, when I, like I saw a post the other day and they were like, stop trying to push your agenda on us. Mm-hmm. No, it's about like being loving and accepting towards all. There's space for us all. Right. I'm a firm believer in that. This is why I wanted to, and I'm glad you have your podcast and we're going to talk about that right now. But like with these podcasts, it's speaking about these things. Estos temas que para mí son muy importantes. Yo soy una persona that is kind of like live and let live. Como dices tú, a ti que te importa que te afecta lo que yo haga con mi vida. If I'm not doing anything to harm you. Let me live my life. You know what I mean? And that's something that I'm glad that we can talk about. And now I can see it more than ever. It's it's stuff that is being more accepted. But yes, guys, live and let live and worry about yourself and what you can do, right, to better yourself. Like, And I'm talking about the people that are listening and just in general. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you have love and respect for humanity... That's so helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't have any sort of like disrespect towards somebody who doesn't yeah. align with the same beliefs that I do. No, I let them be. Mm-hmm. If they don't mess with me, I'm not going to mess with them. Right. It's just respeta. Exactly. And I mean, I wasn't always like this. This came from like working on myself, trying to be a better version mm-hmm. of who I was yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Every day, we got to be a better version of ourselves and focus on the things that we could change within. And that also helps you, like not focusing so much on what other people are doing or not doing. People that are listening to us that also are transgender or part of the LGBT plus community, like, what do you have to tell them? Can you tell them something like to, you know, give them some type of some words of inspiration, empowerment? Absolutely. Don't let fear hold you back. That's what held me back. I was so scared. After I transitioned, I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to be able to be an actor. Mm -hmm. There's no way. This was before we had what we have now. Today, we have people who have paved the way for us, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, 
oh, what, what am I going to do now? Like, there's nothing else that I want to do. I had so much fear. I was scared. Don't let that hold you back. If you want something, go for it. I'm a mm -hmm. strong believer that what's meant for you is meant for you. And I wish that I had the knowledge and wisdom that I have today, back then, to just go for it. I'm always a fucking late bloomer at everything. That's just like... <laughs> <laughs> But hey, late bloomer or not, you're doing it and you haven't given up on your dreams. And I, I honestly, I applaud you for that. Are you in a relationship? Are you in love? Yo soy bien chismosa. Yo quiero saber todo. Así que. Well, I guess you're going to have to listen to the podcast to find out. Oh, nice <laughs> answer, girl. <laughs> Very nice because, okay, perfect. I'm going to for sure listen so I can find out my answer to that question. So tell us, tell us about the podcast, actually. Tell us about Crumbs and why Crumbs? Oh, I'll tell you why. Crumbs is a show about the things that we settle for in life and the bits of ourselves that make up our identity. That's what the show is about. And Ooh. so in Crumbs, I talk about what it's like to be dating for a trans woman. I talk about different relationships that I've had and what kind of crumbs I've settled for just to feel like I'm loved, just to feel like somebody wants me. Oh my goodness. I love that. So every relationship I'm talking about what fucking crumb I received, what I learned from it, and uh -huh. how much I've grown from it. So from the first episode to the last episode, you're going to see a completely different woman. Oh my goodness. How exciting. Oh my gosh. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Well, it's not just about dating. It's also settling for crumbs in our relationships with our family. Mm -hmm. And you know, I have like, I have some sort of a backstory with my family. Uh -huh. So there's a lot to pick from. Yes. You know what? I, I love that. I think it's necessary. It's needed. I'm excited to listen to Crumbs, honestly, because I have been through my share of relationships where I have settled to settle, but I don't regret those relationships because like you just said, you learn from every experience. Every person that comes into your life is a teacher to teach you something for the next person. Was it hard to pitch the podcast? Oh, you know what's so funny? I'll tell you how it happened. What happened is I started speaking a lot at 12-step recovery meetings and people would come up to me after the podium. You know, I talk about my story about growing my childhood, what it was like, what happened, my turning point with drugs and alcohol and what happened after, which is like transitioning, like, holy shit, you know? And people are just like, oh my God, you need to write a book about this. This is such a good story. You need to write a book. And I've spoken all over the country in Canada. Like I've been very fortunate to get to be able to tell my story and so finally I sat down one day, I was like, you know, I'm going to write the fucking book. Why not? Because if it can help somebody not kill themselves, then that's contributing to something. So I wrote the book and I started, you know, I had made a couple friends that are in the entertainment industry and I got some testimonials from them for my book. And then they said, somebody said, called me when they were like, Hey, Emmy, do you mind if I share your book proposal with this producer that I know? I'm like, no. Go ahead. So that's how the podcast came about. They're interested in my story. They feel like it could help people. And so that's how it happened. The book's not out yet. That's the thing. Like the book's not out yet, but they read the proposal and they were like, let's do a podcast about this. I love that yeah. because we don't hear stories like this very often. So now that you have this space with your podcast to share that, I, I think that's wonderful. This, this is already like showing us that it's it's becoming more... Como que ya está un poquito más. No sé, I don't even know if the word is accepted because it's not the word that I'm looking for. You know what I mean? But it's like. Yeah, I, I know what you're trying to say. It's normalized. Yeah. 
That's the word. No, I, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Like, I was so shocked because the other day I got an audition for a trans lead Mexican movie. Like, that was the first time I've ever seen that. Oh, my god! And goodness. I was like, whoa, this is fucking awesome. A yes. lead in a Mexican movie that's transgender? And it was, I was just so, like, mind blown. That's awesome. I was like, good. And that's why I did the podcast in Spanish as well, okay, right? Good. Because I want to be able to cater to that market reach. and reach our mm-hmm. Latin has, Hispanic community. Que bueno. Honestly, I, I, se me encanta. And it's because of women like you that are open enough to share their stories that are going to change the game in the transgender community, oh, in the LGBTQ plus community, honestly, because it's important. The only way to change lives is to be honest, be brutally honest, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hairy, all of it. Poder decirlo y decir, si pase por esto, es parte de mi testimonio. Yeah. And that's how you're going to change lives. And this is how we're going to get more roles. You know what I mean? And more podcasts. And that makes me happy. <laughs> that makes me honestly, it makes me really happy. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you. Congratulations on that. I'm really, really humbled that you had me on your show. I really appreciate it. Of course. Of course. I mean, honestly, I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you came on Cheekies and Chill and we're talking about a subject, un tema que es para mí muy importante. Thank you for being open. Again, guys, you guys can listen to her podcast, Crumbs. And guys, we're going to plug in some LGBTQ resources in the show notes for anyone who needs them. Before we wrap up today's episode, I'm going to leave you with a motivational quote like you guys know. Me and my quotes y mis frases para mí son muy importante. So today is... I stand for honesty, equality, kindness, compassion, treating people the way you want to be treated, and helping those in need. To me, those are traditional values. That's a quote that I found, and I liked it because we were just talking about live and let live, you guys, because it, it is important. So hopefully you guys did learn a lot on this podcast. And Emmy, again, muchas gracias. Um, my honor. Thank you. I'm just so grateful for you for having this space for me, for us, for our community. I think it's so important that we talk about and continue to educate ourselves. I'm really excited for Crumbs. I hope that it means something for you too. Oh, oh thank you so much, Emmy. <laughs> Les mandamos muchos besos, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cheekies and Chill. Hasta luego. This is a production of iHeartRadio and My Cultura Podcast Network. Follow us on Instagram at My Cultura Podcasts and follow me, Chiquis, that's C-H-I-Q-U-I-S. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tengo diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos, Estamos en riesgo, riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocócica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos 
para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita prevnar20enespañol.com. What the world needs now is positivity. Connecting, relating, and being human together is where it's at. Hi there, honey German, and I know life happens, but trust, you got this. And State Farm got us. It feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional-grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you.